1: And welcome to episode 321 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we got the party started for the publication of our new book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies Work from Home Edition, and talked about some of the new highlights in the book. It's a great intro to some of the big themes of our new book. In this episode, we want to talk about collaboration in hybrid environments and then the whole back to the office movement. Should that change your thinking about collaboration and collaboration tools? Remember, we are collaborating with others all the time and we'd best get good at it. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode?
0: Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be sharing some insights into collaboration in hybrid or mixed environments. In our second segment, we'll debate whether it's hot or not to continue to follow hashtags for legal technology conferences. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up... I want to remind everybody that the latest edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies Work from Home Edition, is now out and available at the ABA bookstore. We really think it's the only book that addresses collaboration tools for lawyers, and we think it's great for lawyers and firms of all sizes, as well as the allied professionals who work with them. You know, we called our new book the Work From Home Edition to address the changes, largely to address the changes that COVID forced on law firms uh, with how lawyers would work with each other when they all worked apart. Um, over the past two years, the concept of the workplace has, I guess, evolved such that as law firms and other companies have started to begin to return to a more traditional office setting. Some firms and lots of companies are acknowledging the idea of the hybrid. I know Dennis has another term for it, but we'll call it the hybrid workplace. That's what we see more often uh, out in the the press, um, where some work in the office, some work at home, uh, or employees are asked to come into the office a certain number of days per week, and then they are free to work at home on those other days. We thought we'd talk a little bit about the effects a hybrid work environment might have on collaboration, if any. Dennis, does moving into the back to the office or BTO change how we should think about collaboration and collaboration tools? You know, Tom,
1: I... I actually don't think it, it changes our thinking much at all and and I sort of feel that our readers are the readers of our previous editions were probably prepared um, maybe better than than many others uh, for for COVID in 2020 as we started to because we introduce you know concepts of how to think about how you were collaborating what tools you used where people were uh, the thing I like to call the collaboration goal and rule to collaborate with others as you would like to have them collaborate with you, um, and I think that COVID just kind of amplified and stressed certain components of, of that, and and that's one of the, that's what we'll talk about in, in this in this podcast. And then I also think that we're seeing already that the whole back to the office thing really doesn't mean much more than than two or three days a week anyway in in most most settings so the idea that suddenly you can just abandon everything that's a, a work from home uh, tool or practice and go back to the good old days I I don't I don't think that's uh, going to be the case um, so I, I think collaboration is uh, is uh, is even more important in many ways. But I, I think the
0: lessons from work from home are just going to carry, carry, carry right through. You know, I will say that I agree and I disagree. I think that Back to the Office does and it doesn't change how we should think about collaboration and collaboration tools. Because, um, you know, I think as we agree, at its heart, collaboration means being able to work with anyone no matter where you are. So to that extent, so that in respect how we think about collaboration shouldn't have changed and it didn't change however many years ago, 15 years ago when we wrote our first book. I mean, it's been the same that whole period of time. But with the pandemic essentially ripping most workplaces apart. I mean, there were so many offices that everybody had to leave um, and, and and people were working at home. As that were as those workplaces begin to either come together now or start figuring out how they're going to come together. They're coming back together in some format. Um, there is a lot of interesting thinking going on that didn't happen beforehand. A the, the lot of, a lot of thinking that, you know, when people might be working remote, nobody was really considering the hybrid workplace. That's, I mean, when we talk about hybrid, um, that's a new concept that is a new term that I think I, or, or at least maybe if, maybe if it's not new it's certainly not as popular um, as it has been over the past two years um, and I think that that thinking would not have occurred. St- were the pandemic never to have happened. Um, if if we were to just continue to have, um, go on with a normal, um, you, most people in the office, some people working remotely or more flexibly, um, I don't think we would have had the type of thinking about the hybrid workspace, or as you're going to put it, the mixed workspace as um, as would have happened. And And one of the things that we're finding is that, because of the hybrid workspace there are some concepts that are kind of uh, I think I've seen them called hybrid inequity that there is inequity starting to happen because of the mix between people who happen to be going back to the office and people who are staying at home and I will we'll talk I'll go through some of the functions of what makes what 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 might make for an inequitable hybrid environment but I would say that lots of aspects about Collaboration haven't changed, but I think that that this whole hybrid environment has raised a lot more issues than probably we would have thought about five or seven or ten years ago.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's caused people to really start to think through these things. And and that was always the theme of the book, that you need to kind of think how you are working with people and how you collaborate with them and what you know what the tools are, what the technologies are, uh, even if it's if it's in the office. And I also think that if you, uh, I, I would say differently than what you were saying Thomas, I, I think if you say collaboration and the tools and technologies come into play when you know, you have people working from home or in remote locations. And if you kind of over-focus on physical location and proximity, you're really missing one of the main points about collaboration tools. Um, I also agree with you that we're now, I, I think we're seeing as people go Back to the office, and I'll talk about what I think about that whole notion of going back uh, in a little bit, but the uh, there is this – you see these bad habits from the past become so much more apparent. Uh, you and I were on a, a – a call with, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 people, and I think 10 or 12 of them were in a room. And uh, those of us on, on Zoom were using chat. We were doing all these things that we're used to doing. And the people in the room, it was almost like the the majority of us who were not in the room didn't exist. People weren't using microphones. You couldn't hear anything. Um, we kind of went back to the bad old days of of those kind of those conference calls and, and meetings where if you weren't in the room, it was almost like you didn't exist. So I think we look at that. And, and I think Tom, that uh, when I think about the book, I, I still think that checklists and the other tools in our book really help people think about collaboration in the, in, in the right way. And, and um, I think that's what's really come, you know, I becoming more and more important as that, the actual collaboration process comes into more and more focus as people think it through.
0: Well, I think you're right, and you're you're kind of starting to hit on some of the things that that I want to talk a little bit more about um, in terms of how to address. Because when you, when you talk about going back to the bad old days, I'd argue that they're different bad days now. I would say that 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 our experience in that meeting with fifty or sixty people. It now takes a different turn than it would have four or five or even three years ago to me because of the fact that we now should know better. We now have had the opportunity to know better of of when we were all equally all virtual. And then now when we're back to some people being virtual and some people not, it should be more apparent and it probably isn't. And so, you know, I, as I, as I was kind of doing some research for this, I came up came across some kind of interesting concepts that I think and part of the problem what you just described there was is something that I've seen described as meeting inequality. Um, uh, that 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 shows that the people who are live tend to have more uh, more, more say and more more. Sup- I don't know if the right word is superiority, but they they tend to power. Definitely a sense of power. That's right. But but here are some other issues. So issues that that I think have to be considered. When you are addressing collaboration in a hybrid or mixed environment, which is one, um, there is a lack of a, and, and I think Dennis, you may not agree with all of these because you, I think, have been vocal on this podcast about the fact that being in person doesn't necessarily guarantee a good social connection. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think that, that in a hybrid environment, those who tend to work from home sometimes suffer from a lack of a social connection. The remote team members get that short end of the socialization stick. They don't get to see people in the office that often. They're not around as, as much as others are. And I think that there is a creation of a maybe false hierarchy um, of a we're here and you're there with with leadership usually being more likely to be in the office. Um, they're the ones who want to be in the office. They're the ones who are maybe even putting pressure on employees to come back to the office. And and there is the, whether, whether it is true or not, there is the perception that people who are there with leadership get more visibility and are more likely to get the benefit of that visibility. And so um, I think this is one of the, one of the, Problems that collaboration tools can help to address. Making sure that you are appropriately using collaboration tools you can start to make that perception um, or that hierarchy a little more balanced out. There will be no true substitute for being in person. If you're in a room with in a meeting room with someone, literally right across the table from them, there is not a substitute for that from being virtual. It's just not the same experience. But I think some of the collaboration tools we talk about in the book and in general have the potential to at least level out that inequality a little bit more or make it easier for organizations to to help make it more balanced?
1: Yeah, I, that inequality, inequity you know whatever you want to call it I, th- I think that is very real. I, I think it in back to work, it manifests itself, and as I say, if if your managing partners are telling you, you have to be in the office, then by God, they better be back every single day. Because if not, they're sending the wrong message and saying there's a privileged class and there's a then there's a non privileged class. I also think this this sort of being in the office experience, this sort of you know at the water cooler, you know. It's like we're at the country club and, and all sort of thing. that that has had problems in the past and uh, we need to get away from. and and the fact that, that I can set up a Zoom call with that person I need to talk to, get on their calendar, get their time, get their attention instead of like hang out in the hallway, knock on the door, see if they're around with with all kinds of interruptions, to me is, is a positive of the, you know, what we found from the work from home era. And so I, I think when we talk about back to the office and back to normal, it puts us in the wrong mindset that we're going back to some good old days that definitely were not as good as people uh, remembering them. Um, especially for minority and women lawyers, uh, f- as as we know, um, I like the term mixed more than hybrid. I think hybrid gives a sense of something that's really fixed and it's sort of almost a scientific approach and is highly organized. And I think that we we are just living in this this mixed world, you know, and we do need to consider what. Uh, you know, how people are working, where they're going to be, what devices they're going to use. And that's all part of collaboration and what platforms they use. And I think that's, that's why I like the sense of mix, because then I say, oh, wait, I need to think about everybody I'm working with and what might work well for them, because not everybody's going to be in the office. Not everybody's going to be at home. You know, there's going to be uh, all these things going on, which existed before COVID. But now I just think it's it's a lot more visible. And then then I also think when we just so when we go back to work, um, that we're seeing things like hoteling and other things like that, where people are just in a couple of days. So that's creating this mixed environment as well, where even if I'm sort of back in the office a few days a week. Then I'm, I'm not in the office a couple of days, and that requires a different approach to collaboration. And, and I guess the, the big thing that's worrisome uh, to me, Tom, is that when people say they are back to the office, I almost feel like they're ready to stop investing in collaboration tools and thinking about it as carefully as before because we're, they have the sense of we're going back to some, some good old days.
0: Well, there's certainly the, the notion that we've heard from some lawyers who have, have said, can't wait to get back to the office and we can stop doing all of this other stuff. Um, I've noticed that um, that as people have gone back to the office, Uh, and have returned to more uh, on in-person working environment that a lot of these remnants are uh, a lot of the collaboration tools, a lot of the practices over the last two years are really hard to die. They're not dying outright. I mean, I, I still say, see that all the lawyers that I work with in Dallas who are all largely back in their own offices still prefer to meet with by Zoom, if we have a choice. Um, so I, I would say that um, although I suspect that lots of leadership would prefer to go back to the way it is, I think that the people who have to do it on a day by day basis probably feel a little bit differently. I think my only disagreement, Dennis, is is that is that um, you know there would be times when I was in an office, where I'd be sitting there and I'd have an idea and I wanted to run it by somebody and I wanted to do it in this in this right then when I thought about it, in the moment. And I could just go to the neck go, go next door talk to the lawyer in the room next to me and say, hey, I was thinking about this. What do you think? And in your scenario, I now have to go look at their calendar and set up a Zoom, which might not be until tomorrow. And by then, that spontaneity has ended. So I don't know that that happens all the time. Or you could text them. You could text them, Tom, and
1: say like, hey, do you have five minutes to talk about this? And then you don't interrupt what they're doing and they're ready to listen to you.
0: If you could, you could do that too, but so, but that wasn't an option that you gave. You talked about finding a thing on the calendar. <laughs> and I think that assuming that texting is an appropriate method of collaborating with your team members, then absolutely. Yes. I mean, I do that with Zoom all the time. I have, I have something I want to talk about. That's how I do my spontaneity with my consultants is I text them. I say, Hey, do you have a minute to talk about this? And, and we jump on, we literally hit the phone button in Teams and we're talking to each other in about two so it's not a it's not a difficult issue but um, i think there are some benefits to being in person that i think that no amount of collaboration tools can overcome or help but that said we're here to talk about how to uh how to help collaborate in a hybrid environment and we're going to do just that but first we're going to take a break for a message from our sponsors Mention LegalTalk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software?
1: And we're back. Tom, let's talk about some practical ways, as you were saying, to think about the current and future mixed or hybrid environment and how we can collaborate better. uh, Do you want to start us off?
0: So um, one of the things that we'll talk, we, we talked a little bit about in the first part was meeting inequality. And so if you're going to try to have a better mixed environment, why not Reduce meetings. Why not stop having so many meetings, or or um, move from synchronous communication to asynchronous communication. If you're talking with the people you'd ordinarily be meeting with, but you're doing it by asynchronous means, you can still many times achieve the same goals that you wanted to without having to subject people at home to join others who might be in a conference room to a meeting. You'd all be on the same foot because you'd all be getting those messages in the same way. I think that if you have teams that are used to like working together, this is probably not happening as often in the law environment as it is in like the tech environment or uh, the, comp- the other environments where where teams will get together and work a certain number of t- hours a day. I've seen tips to set. You know, blocks limited to a small, limited to a small number of hours. If you're going to be working with people in your office, don't spend all day working with them to the exclusion of your team members who may be remote. Um, make that a smaller number of hours, and and then try to do other things in an asynchronous way. I would say find a way to simplify your collaboration tech stack. Um, some tools are more valuable for in-person teams. And that doesn't work well for remote workers. So be thoughtful about the tools that you use so that it's a tool that makes sure that it is useful no matter where it is. Because I think a lot of the tools we talk about are pretty good no matter whether you're at home or whether you are in the office. But they're not all cut equally. And so I think those are two two main practical uh, ways to think about uh, think about collaboration. I have some more thoughts, but I'm going to take a break so I don't talk so much and say, Dennis, thoughts about that or thoughts of your own on ways to address?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that as as we step back and think about uh, collaboration and what we've seen in the last couple of years, I, I want to go back to, uh, you know, this in-person notion that a lot of times people say, oh, what I what I like about being in person is I can just stick my head in my colleague's. The, you know door and ask them something and i can i can do this and i can grab somebody in the hallway or you know you know i see somebody at the at the water cooler and i can have them do a project for me or, or whatever and you, you start to say well what you're describing is what you like is to the other person is actually really interruptive you know by its by its nature and and that's why the texting to see if you have time setting up a Zoom call, doing things like that, or you know, uh, doing something in Slack or in Teams, um, actually s- makes you start to think about you know, there might be better ways to do this and. You know, a lot of times you're up against a a deadline as a lawyer and somebody shows up at your door and says, you know, like, hey, do you have a minute? Which, you know, means do you have, you know, half an hour and you don't want to be rude and you end up getting even further behind the, the deadline. So I think that these tools kind of help us think about that. And that I say, Tom, that leads me to what I think my main point um, and that we th- we talk a lot about in the book is uh, this sort of audit and assessment. So, this is a great time as you're going back to the office and considering these approaches and the hybrid approaches to just figure out like what is it that you're doing? How do you collaborate? Can you map that out? Can do you really understand what it is that that you're doing? And and then to kind of treat that as experimental data. So what has worked? What hasn't, but just get a really solid understanding of it, and say, let's think about this, and just not jump back to saying, let's just go back to the to the old normal.
0: Let me follow up with a couple of tips that I have. Um, one of them, I'm I'm just re- repeating. I am I was doing research for this, and I found uh, something I really like, which is that an approach that Google is taking, because I think Google has recognized the issues with hybrid or mixed environments. And they've come up with what they call three pillars of equity in collaboration and I think they're all valuable to think about. The first one is called representation equity, which means making sure that all people on the team can be seen, they can be heard, they can be portrayed equally no matter where they are, that no one has a lesser portrayal um, in whatever meeting or whatever sense of the collaboration you have. There's participation equity, which is the ability to host, present, and participate equally in meetings. In fact, Google had introduced a tool, which I'm ashamed to know. I didn't even know that this tool existed. I don't know, Dennis, if you know. It's called Companion Mode. It's in its meeting tools. It gives every meeting participant the same access to the same interactive tools. So it's a, they can all do the same things in meetings. Um, you know, Microsoft and both Microsoft and Google now allow you to specify in your meeting RSVP To let people know where you'll be, whether you'll be in person or remote. It'll say attending remotely or attending in the meeting room or something like that, so people can plan better for the meetings. That third pillar of equity is called information equity, where everybody has equal access to information. I think that to me that's that's the most logical. And in you know, in terms of current collaboration tools, that to me seems the most straightforward and the easiest to accomplish is giving everybody equal access to information. Uh, the other thing that I really uh, kind of want to talk about quickly is if you have to have meetings, again, try to bring more equality to them. And one of the suggestions that I have is, is think about whether or not it makes sense, depending on how big your meetings are. Does it make sense to have sort of a virtual moderator to your meeting, um, a, you know, a second meeting facilitator for people who are remote that can welcome the meeting participants, they can handle technology issues, this maybe for larger meetings than others, maybe not for meetings of only a few people, but they could post polls or things that people could participate in, they could share questions with the in-person person who is leading the meeting, they could run the breakout rooms. I, I think that there are ways to make that, Dennis was absolutely right, when you're a meeting of 50 or 60 people. And um, you feel very removed from the action if you are remote. Um, you're not around the conference table together, you're not in the meeting room to having a great time and chatting it up, you feel very remote, and it is hard to get a word in edgewise, it is easy to feel excluded. And so finding ways to level that a little bit more with your remote people, if that means setting up a second moderator, or or it, uh, you know, it, it means maybe, maybe have Non-meeting meetings, um, host office hours, or just t- time when people can talk and get around. Um, or, you know, to, to say to Dennis, instead of uh, have the the real water cooler, um, make your spontaneous interaction time more intentional. Build in time to have water cooler talk and just say, hey, let's, let's meet and see what we've been working on and just chat for that time. And maybe that's an option to do that so that you're not um, bothering somebody and taking them away from something that's important. But you are, um, you're having time, you're dedicating time to maybe have some of those spontaneous conversations. It's just a little bit more planned than spontaneous. Dennis, do you have other suggestions to wrap this thing up?
1: Yeah, just a a couple of things. But, you know, I think that you've talked in the past time. You're doing this thing that's sort of like an office hour. Uh, I do office hours, you know, when I'm teaching. I'm going to try this thing this semester I call the drop-in Zoom um, which is just saying, hey, there's an hour. I'll just be on. Um, and if you want to drive as a student, you want to drop in and talk about what's going on in the class or, you know, whatever else, then um, I'm there. I'll be there and I'll be eating my lunch. You can eat your lunch. And if nobody shows up, that's fine with me. If, if all of you show up, that's that's fine with me. And, you, and so you sort of give people those options. I think your thing about equity is great because every time I get irritated in meetings, somebody's broken one of those things in, in a, in a big way. And I, I think over the time of COVID, as you've been on, if you've been on webinars, they're well-run, you know, you're used to saying like, Oh, I can participate there. The chat is enabled. It's not disabled. Uh, People can share screens. People can unmute. People can do these things. And there's a sense of participation and people are, are you know, you have uh, awareness of what's going on. And that gets broken a lot in in the work setting or in, in, in some meetings. People, It's like we... We just haven't learned the lessons of, of what works. So I think you look at those. Um, I think you you take a close look right now to what your clients want. This is a perfect time to do client surveys like the client survey that we we put in the book. Uh, you start to say, uh, where do we want to invest? I don't think collaboration is a place you want to start disinvesting or decreasing your investment. Um, and you start to go, what are priorities? What are long-term and short-term? term strategies, sort of less about the actual technologies than kind of figuring out what it is that you need to do and how to set those priorities. And then I think it really just comes down to my mantra on collaboration is how do I make it easy for people to work with me? And I think if you if everybody's doing that, uh, I, I think We're really going to start to, things are really going to take off in the the collaboration spaces and uh, with just that simple thing. That's why I said the, you know, the collaboration golden rule, you know, like collaborate with others as you would like to have them uh, collaborate with yourself. And that goes a long way these days.
0: Well, we have a lot to say about collaboration, as you can tell, but we are done for this episode. So before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's s t a f f and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. This episode, we're going back to our hot or not format. We pick
1: a tech topic in the news and discuss whether it's hot or not. We might agree, we might disagree, but you'll get our insights and perspectives on the topic. And you are welcome to suggest uh, future topics to us. The big ILTACON Legal Tech Conference took place recently, and I followed what was happening using the event hashtag or what I thought was the event hashtag because people were using about three of them. Um, It got me thinking about how effective it is to follow events that you can't attend in person by using Twitter hashtags. Tom, this technique has been used for ages, but as we seem to be moving to more in-person conferences these days, is following a conference using uh, Twitter hashtags hot or not?
0: When you say move to more in-person conferences, do we mean move back? Because we used to have a lot of in-person conferences, so it's not whether we're moving to them now more than we were before. I think we're just moving back to them. Moving back. But I think you're right. This has been used for ages. So I'm really tempted to say that the temperature of this trend is about as steady as it has always been. I I would say that the use of hashtags on Twitter is no more or less a thing than ever it has been. I I think some people use them all the time, like Dennis, sometimes in very questionable ways, while some people like me use them almost never. Um, But while I don't like to use hashtags in my own tweets, I will definitely follow a hashtag um, if there is good information to be learned. Um, Likewise, I would say that the use of hashtags at conferences in my opinion, and the conferences that i followed, has remained more or less steady over time. It was, I would say, no hotter before, during, or since the pandemic started. I think the temperature level of using hashtags, in my opinion, has remained pretty much the same depending on how you approach conferences. You know, for example, when I go to a conference in person, I will still follow the hashtags to see what my fellow attendees are seeing and doing and experiencing to see if there might be something I might want to do that I might be missing. When I'm not at a conference, I'm actually less likely to follow a hashtag because there's a lot of noise in those hashtags. There's vendors who are selling products. There are people who are trolling the attendees. There's attendees having conversations with other attendees. Um, It's a lot. And so I don't always do that. But, you know, for ILTA, I followed a few people whose tweets I value, and I got a lot out of that. I think I was able to learn a lot about what happened at the conference, at least for those attendees anyway, through following just them at Twitter. Less noise, better content. Um, Even though I may have seen a more narrow view of the conference and if I'd followed the hashtag, um, it was enough for me and enough volume for me to follow it. So as for temperature, I would say the answer is personal. That temperature is personal depending on how you used hashtags. For me, I would say it was a nice, comfortable, middle-of-the-road, warm room temperature. Dennis?
1: Well, Tom, I I always want to, uh, I I, I don't know whether it was hashtags at the time. I remember it was like, what? ABA Tech show 2007 or something like that where you wanted to use Twitter and we were going to have all the attendees use it and it was it felt like there were about six of us we had but, a monitor we had a monitor imprieved. up on the wall
0: that would show <laughs> the tweet the tweets would just go by like a news ticker it was it was a beautiful thing, all six of us doing that. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> then you, and then the six of us realized that by tweeting, we could get our our stuff up on a monitor, and it just, it brought out the worst in us, right? So, uh, so I, I think that uh, it's it's been an interesting way to do things. It's been around for a long time, and I so I I followed it at uh, the ILTA conference, and um, it just I, I sort of feel like it's really of cooling off and and I think there's a couple things one is that it makes you wish that uh, the conferences were offering uh, an online option and I'm not sure what they're gaming by not doing that so that's that's one thing you also miss when you had online you had the chat so you could actually be talking to other people there with the twitter and the hashtags it's it's like way more public and you know and so that's that's a different vibe if the conference doesn't do good discipline and say here's what the official hashtag is you won't you won't see everything um wide mix of stuff and then you also realize and, and um, I think about this as as presenters right you see somebody summarize what somebody's saying in a session and it just seems like so banal what they're what they're saying you know like like you know you if we were doing a presentation you would expect to see like somebody on twitter say you know Tom and Dennis say collaboration is important and and you would go like, well, wow, yeah, that's great. So I th- I think it's I think it's cooling off though because I it, the the quality of what you get depends on who's tweeting during the conference, what they what they tweet about, and I, I just think that as to get actual content from the sessions, that the character limit really is is, is problematic to, to give a good summary of of uh, our insight into what people are saying. So I'm going to call it chilling or cooling down so now it's time for our parting shots at one tip website observation you can use the second this podcast ends tom take it away
0: well, first, before I do my parting shot, I want to give a quick shout out to listener Scott Bassett. Thank you very much for your voicemail. He gave uh, he he gave an important uh, response to our uh, hot or not last episode on the um, on flip phones and whether foldables are a thing or they're hot or not. And he had a um, Galaxy Flip Three, the the earlier version, the previous generation of it. And he pointed out something that I I sort of alluded to, but I didn't actually get to, which is that the 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 phone screen is coated with something to both protect it and also to enable it to fold. And over time, um, that starts to become—it started to become disconnected from the phone. And he wound up getting a new one. But that over time, that new phone also started to become disconnected. I think that's one of the major issues with foldable phones. Um, I understand that that is better with the new vert and the new generation of the, the Z Flip uh, but I don't know that it's as good as it should be and so point well taken Scott thanks for listening thanks for the comment and please everybody else please send us your comments if you have them my parting shot it's been a long time since I have had a parting shot that had to do with either headphones or earbuds so I thought y'all are missing my comments on headphones and earbuds so I would t- say that i I have recently. I was recently persuaded to try the Google Pixel Buds Pro, and the reason why is The Verge, um, the technology site. The Verge has a great podcast, and they had this awesome episode where they took about four or five or six different wireless or earbuds, and they they actually tested them during the podcast, so you could hear the quality if they are talking to you on the phone. In a, in a, in a they, they did them two places, one in a coffee shop and one on the ferry in New York. So, the ferry was driving around the, the, all, all between Staten Island and other places. And um, they, the, the people who hosted the podcast were shocked to find that the Google Pixel Buds Pro sounded better than the Apple iPod Pro, the Pod Pro, whatever they call them. I forgot them. I've, I've missed my, my terms here. But air, the audio quality was actually better listening to them, and that was enough to convince me to get them. And I have them now. I enjoy them quite a bit. Uh, they don't stick out of the ear quite as much as the, as the uh, Pod Pro, but um, – I would say they're a good uh, a good thing, especially if you have an Android phone, but you don't need an Android phone. It's not like Apple where you're in a wall garden. You can use the Google Pixel Buds uh, earbuds with anybody uh, highly recommended and cheaper than Apple's version 2. Dennis.
1: Well, Thomas told me that we can no longer cover every Apple event on on this podcast, but I did watch the Apple event today, and uh, the Apple Watch Series Eight very attractive to me for the the health additions to it, and the AirPod. Pro 2, also very interesting as, the pla- as, as I talked about when we first talked about the, the AirPods, the platform continues to evolve and you see things like the spatial audio, the personalization of, of the sound for you, improved noise resolution, that sort of thing. But I want to turn to ILTA. So uh, there were two products that really caught my attention and from attending virtually. And one is from Thomson Reuters, it's called Thought Trace. And it's uh, it's a really interesting approach to a, a human in the middle AI contract analysis tool. I don't, I don't have time here to go into detail in it uh, but on it but uh, really caught my attention uh, very interesting I can see some uh, a, a good number of uses for that and the other is uh, from net documents they bought a company called after pattern which does document automation um, and so they launched something called pattern builder uh, which is their document now this document automation built into the into the document management tool. Uh, that document's uh, really interesting. I love the idea of that uh, evolving platform in document management, adding tools like uh, document automation. So, uh, Thought Trace, Pattern Builder, worth taking a look at.
0: And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, on the Legal Talk Network site, or in your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you know where to find us. You can reach out to us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, or leave us a voicemail. We love to get voice messages. That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to The kennedy Mile
1: Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.